He dismissed them. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. If you want to keep that passage open. Father God, you are so kind in speaking to us. Please, by your spirit, would you help us to listen in our heads and hearts. Help us to turn these words into prayer. We need your help. We can do nothing without you. We can't even really listen without you, so we need that. Help us, Lord. We pray that you would adjust us so that we have your agenda. We pray that we would help our churches to adjust to have your agenda. And please, would you, through us, save many, bring the bread of life to many, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a a naval strategist and he wrote a book um, called The Influence of Sea Power. His name was Alfred Thayer Mayha. And uh, he coined this phrase, whoever rules the waves rules the world. Whoever rules the waves rules the world. And uh, he was writing this book about Britain uh, in the 17th and 18th century and how actually we ruled the world because we ruled the waves. That's what he was talking about. And at that time, the unofficial national anthem for Britain was this, Rule Britannia. It, wasn't, it isn't our national anthem, but it was the unofficial one. Rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves. Britain never, never, never shall be slaves. <laughs> Very optimistic. Um, in other words, the whole point of that song was, if you rule the waves, you will not be slaves, you'll be masters. Whoever rules the waves rules the world. Now, when you go to the Bible, you see a similar sort of thing, actually. Not about Britain, but about God. Psalm 89, verse 9. You, talking about God, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 93, verse 4. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 95, verse 5, the sea is his, for he made it. Psalm 107, verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Whoever rules the waves rules the world. That's what all those psalms are saying. At the same time as that unofficial national anthem, Rule Britannia, there was another writer called Isaac Watts. You've probably heard of him. He was a hymn writer. He said this, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successes journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. 
In other words, whoever rules the waves rules the world and Jesus rules the waves. And that's exactly what you see in this miracle. It's going on in, in that second half of uh, Matthew 14. Jesus rules the waves. He walks on the waves like it's a pavement. He calms the surging sea like it's a little baby that just needed some milk. Jesus rules the waves. Now, what is interesting, if you were reading through Matthew's gospel, and if we had time to do it, you'd see that the disciples had already been in this situation of a storm on, on, on the sea. You go back to uh, Matthew chapter 8, and you'll see that there's another storm that they're in. And this is a very similar thing. It's, now, why does, why does Jesus do this? Why does God do this? Because like us, we have to keep learning the same lessons. We have to keep learning the lessons of trust and what it is to follow him and listening to his word. So let's get into this story then. First of all, look at the storm. Let's just have a look at the storm. So uh, the end of verse 23. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus had sent them out into the boat and he was up a mountain alone praying. So when evening came, he was there alone. But verse 24, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So you've got the storm. I want you to get this picture. Here's the evening. It's, it's now evening. It's been a very, very busy time. It's now evening. Jesus' followers are in the dark on a lake and a storm comes along. They're far away from the shore and we're told the waves were buffeting. It's a very strong word. It literally means battering. You've got this battering of waves going against them. And it's turning out to be one of the worst nightmares that they could ever be in. As I said, they've had this before, but now there's another nightmare going on. And there's a slight difference between this and what's happening, uh, what happened in Matthew chapter chapter 8. Now, I want you to get this. You must get this. This It's such an important point. They're in this position, in the storm in the dark, on the lake, because they're obeying Jesus. Because they're obeying him. Do you see that? Because he commanded them. Look at verse 22. It says, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Made. That's a very strong word again. It's ordered, compelled, commanded. So they're in trouble only because they're following Jesus. These are not disobedient people. There's not a storm hitting them because they're disobedient. It's not like, well, if you, it's, not, it's not Jonah. Well, if you don't follow God, you're going to get swallowed by a you know, fish. No, no, they're in the storm because the master ordered them to go. And they're in the storm buffeted, battered by waves in the dark in the middle of the lake and he's not even there. He's he's up a hill praying. Good for him. He told them to go on the lake and he's not even with them. Last time they were in the storm, he stilled the storm because he was in the back of the boat. Last time, they went and woke him up and rebuked him and said, don't you care? But at least they could wake him up and say, don't you care? Now how could he possibly care? Because he's not actually in the boat. He's on you know, nice, dry land. Good old Jesus. 
when you want him. If you add up all the time that passes, and you can do that by you know the, 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 the suggestions in the, in, in the text, you'll see that they're struggling for nine hours. That's quite a struggle, isn't it? Nine hours, drenched with water, shivering with fear, cold, muscles screaming. The sheer physical strain of the panic of being battered by waves. And still the nightmare continues, hour after hour after hour. And to make it worse, you've got to get into their culture. (laughs) To make it worse, the Jewish culture and the thinking of the disciples and how they were brought up is that storms and seas were places of evil and dark realms. Sort of satanic powers go with them. In the Bible, you get that very clearly. That the sort of churning of the sea is a picture of evil, satanic powers. That's why, you know, if you go to the book of Revelation, you'll see that, that, that the sea is, is, is a glass sea. It's calm. It's got, this, it's got the throne ruling over it. God rules calm. But the, the chaos of the sea is, is a wickedness and human rebellion. Uh, Isaiah 57 says this, The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. So you get the picture. Here's the storm. Jesus is up safely up a mountain praying. But down on the stormy lake is the tiny church. The tiny group of followers of Jesus struggling, struggling. Struggling to do what? To do what their master commanded them to do. They're struggling. How can they do it? In the last story, it was feeding of 5,000. The disciples were told, you feed them, as we saw last time. We only have five fish sandwiches. It's ridiculous. You feed them. Bring them to me and then you'll be able to do it. Now, it seems, go into this violent, violent evil world of turbulence and storm and satanic power. Go into that world, I command you. Get in the boat and go into the world of storm and darkness and human rebellion and satanic power. How? It's impossible. We haven't got the resources. Nine hours, we've run out of energy. There are many times when Jesus asks us to do what seems impossible, isn't there? You know? I know we can go to conferences and stir ourselves up and sing, you know, and say, yes, we'll do it. But there's some reality that says, actually, to be honest, (laughs) it's a bit ridiculous. And of course, the older you get, the more cynical you get. You know, when they're young people, yeah, they've got it all, and then it suddenly gets more cynical, or they give up the faith because they just can't, they're just impossible. It feels that Jesus is asking me to do the impossible. Here you are, you're living the Christian life and you want to obey Jesus. Don't you want to obey Jesus? Isn't there something you really want to obey Jesus? But the storms come. 
Suddenly the wife walks out or dies or your little child gets seriously ill and these storms, they batter or you can't get the job that you want or you're sacked or whatever it is or serious, serious batterings of temptation are hitting you, aren't they? No one else knows about them and you wonder whether even God knows or cares. And he's asking you to live a pure life and you say, you just don't understand. You don't really understand the batterings I go through. I don't think I can keep this Christian life up. I don't think I can live a pure life. I don't, I, I, the temptations are enormous. We've got someone in our church and the temptations are enormous. I mean, he, he is battered by huge temptations that I've never had. And of course, he tried to kill himself. He couldn't understand. Why would God? He constantly said, God, God, take it away. Take away the temptation. Take away the temptation. That was his prayer, constantly. Take away. Take away the storm. Take away the battery. I can't take it anymore. Take it away. And Jesus didn't never did where is he but here they are struggling in the way of obedience why because God intends to teach us where there in the battering in the storm bear with me please this is important if you're struggling where? In the storm. See, as your muscles will grow in rowing against wind and wave, so actually your faith grows where? Where? In the storm. And what is that faith? That actually you have run out of resources and you need to trust him. That's what faith is. It's not that you can do it, you can pull through. No, 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 you can't. And God, in his kindness, brings us to positions where actually we can't even obey him. It's too much. I can't do this on my own. See, Christianity isn't just a load of rules that you are meant to obey. It's supernatural. And he brings us to a point where we have to see that. God says, in the battering... Is this where you trust me? When it's dark, when you have no night vision, when your night vision is so poor you're going to even see Jesus as a ghost, as we'll see in a minute, where you're totally confused, it's here, here, he will be building up the trust. He's never promised, ever, that Christian life will be an easy life. He's promised it will be a blessed life, but not an easy life. It's not that it's plain sailing. It's not that you're going to go across the crystal sea. It's not that you're drifting down pleasantly on a voyage in your little uh, kayak or down a nice river on a pleasant Sunday afternoon. And in those battles, our tendency, when the, 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 the waves are battering us, our tendency is to imagine God with blind eyes. Isn't it? Where is he? Where is Jesus? Why has he left me alone with my own resources? 
But the disciples were not out of sight or out of mind. Jesus could see them. He was on the hill and he could see. His eyes pierced through the darkness. The Lord, can I remind you of this? Never, ever loses sight of his own. He knows where you are and the batterings and he has placed you there for a reason. That you might begin to look beyond the battering to the one that is looking at you. Beyond the circumstances to the Jesus that is looking and praying for you. Hebrews chapter 7 says this. Listen to this. (laughs) Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood permanently bringing us to the Father. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's living to intercede, to bring you to the Father, even in that battering. So there's the first point. Got it? The storm. Here's the second point I want you to get. The walk. The approach of Christ, the walk. Look at verse 25. During the fourth watch, that's where you get the timings from, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, why does Jesus wait so long? Why is he waiting so long? Well, we, we, we don't know it. We don't know. We don't know everything. But it does feel like it's quite a long time, doesn't it? I mean, it could be like he waited for Lazarus to die. Why? If you'd been here, you could have stopped this. Well, probably waiting to show you that you don't have the resources and your faith is to trust in him who does to bring you to the point of humility so you cry out to him. Probably. But look what happens. The walk. He walks. He's walking on the sea. Jesus calmly, majestically crosses the waves. Do you get that? Not under the waves, not beside the waves, not behind the waves, not in the waves, but on the waves. He uses the very storm, the very trials, the very hardships, the very batterings to come to the people. That's how he comes to the people. Stormy waters are often the path of Jesus into your heart and life. Now, isn't that a surprise? That's a surprise, and very often the opposite to what people are teaching us today in churches and at conferences. Surely if Jesus is to meet me in the storm, it will be after he settles it. Surely that's his job. He's the miracle worker, isn't he? Isn't that his job, to stop stop storms? But he doesn't stop the storm. He comes riding on the storm. And it's because they don't understand that and have that type of thinking that they fail to see who he is. Their night vision completely fails because they think that God will just do the miracle in their circumstances. And he hasn't done the miracle in stopping it. So this can't be Jesus, it must be a ghost. (laughs) 
And so things go from bad to worse in their experience. Not only are they now battling against nature they, and, and the whole idea of satanic powers within the, in the waters, now there's this supernatural experience of a ghost. I mean, this is scary, isn't it? Verse 26, when it says the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, the word saw is actually transfixed. They're petrified. They're out of their mind. This is a ghost. We knew this was satanic times. Now there's a sort of satanic being coming towards us. Now why didn't they recognize Jesus? Because they weren't expecting Jesus to walk on the storm. Jesus surely would have stopped the storm. Do you see that? And sometimes we're like that. Why doesn't he take it away? Where is Jesus? But he's actually on the storm, on the wave. See what he's doing. Those very things that threaten to swallow you, swallow you up, he majestically uses to come to you. Do you recognize him? God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Isn't that amazing? So you've got the storm and you've got the walk, the approach of Christ. But thirdly now, here we go. The word. The word the reassurance that Christ speaks to the heart in the storm. Remember, storm's still going on. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on, on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Immediately he speaks his word. In the noise of the storm and the battering of the storm, the word comes of, to God, of God. And what is it? Take courage. Hey, hey, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I right in the middle of that sandwich. It is I. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's wanting to still the storm raging within the heart before he stills the storm raging around them because that's what he's about. Before taking them out of the storm, he wants to take the storm out of them. That's what he's doing. And how does he do that? By telling him, telling them who he is. It is I. It's the I am word. It is God. It is Emmanuel with you. It is the covenant-making God that revealed himself to Moses. It's the God of history. It is God. I am with you. It is God looking after his people. Immediately he said to them, take courage. It is I. It is when you see who he is. It is when you understand who he is. It's when you understand that he has purposes in this world that are bigger than we understand. It is when we take our sight off our circumstances and look at the Lord Jesus and hear the very revelation, his word. His word is what we need to hear in the storm. His message this gospel, this is what we need to hear in the storm. 
Otherwise we go mad. Otherwise we think it's a ghost. Otherwise we won't understand God's workings. It is I, the rock, the peace bringer, the saviour, Emmanuel, God with you. And it is I who rides on the storm. I'm here. So we have the storm and we have that magnificent approach of Christ on the storm. And we have his word of reassurance. That is what we need to listen to. It's funny when people are going through storms and difficulties. Of course we put the arm around someone. Of course we do. But we actually need to bring the word of God to people. That is the comfort. But here's a fourth point. The invite. Look at the invite. Look at verse 28. Lord, this is Peter speaking. He, he, he clearly gets it's Jesus now because the word has come. He's now not looking at his circumstances and the battering. He's looking at Jesus. Get it? Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. A better word is, a better translation would be, Lord, since it's you, tell me to come. See, it's not if it's you, that's, that's not a great translation. It's since it's you. Lord, since it's you, tell me to come. Because it's you, you tell me to come. Where? Walking on this water. On the very thing that's battering me. On the thing that seems to be destroying me. You see, suddenly he's looking at a different thing. He suddenly sees Jesus on the storm. Jesus, the I am, the ruler. He sees that Jesus isn't far away sitting on a mountain. He sees the presence of the Emmanuel is here. Do you see that? And he can't wait to get out of the boat to be with Christ. <laughs> now why is Peter so eager to leave the boat and be with Christ? Because when Peter, you always see this, whenever Peter is with Jesus, he's a different Peter than when he's not with Jesus. You notice that? When, 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 when Jesus was being arrested and Peter was away and the little girl said, are you with him? Peter was a frail little man. But do you remember just before that, when he was standing next to Jesus and there was a whole army come, Peter at least had a go. He wasn't a very good aim, but he had a go at killing some bloke and he chopped his ear off. See, when you're with Jesus, come on, bring it on, bring the army on. Do you see that? When you understand who he is and you're with Jesus, you will step out and be bold. Now that isn't what Jesus wanted him to do, but you see the difference. But when he's not with Jesus, oh no, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And Peter knows that when he's with Jesus, he's a different man than when he's not. Lord, since it's you, because it's, because it's you, tell me to come on the water and I'll come. Peter knows that along with the, the word of command from Jesus, which is come, comes the power to follow him. It's the word of God that gives us power as we believe that promise by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? 
The words of Jesus are not just some words. It's the words that you need to hear that enable you to get out of the boat. Do you understand that? I mean, it's the Ten Commandments. I was preaching on the Ten Commandments just up there last weekend. And uh, it's not only a command, you shall not steal. It's a promise, you shall not steal. You're the covenant person of God. There's something in you that would change you from being a stealer to being a generous person. You don't steal. You don't need to gather things now to yourself that other people have to try to prove yourself and make yourself a little bit better than other people. No, no, no. You can now go to work and be generous and give away because that's God's. This is what happens. God comes in you. He breaks in you. His word starts to reform you and change you. And suddenly from a stealer, you now become a worker that's generous. So to hear the voice, this is why, look, there's a lot of churches and we're not getting into this book. And I don't get that. The words of this book show me who God is, explains the world around me, explains myself to me, and I understand what he's doing. It's extraordinary that we would actually put away the very blessing of God's word. It's one of the reasons why Satan attacks the word all the time, isn't it? Oh, can you believe the Bible? Can you? It's constant, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, we, we, we sometimes do anything in church. We shut the Bible. My goodness me. It's like insanity, isn't it? Because this is the word of command that not only informs us, but remakes us and models us. (laughs) So the invite. Come. And along with that word goes the enabling, and Peter steps out. Now we don't know how far he went. May have gone two feet, 200 feet, 3,000 feet. I've no idea. We don't know. We don't know how many times he walked on the waves. But he did walk. And then we're told verse 30. Because <laughs> this is a message we've got to keep hearing. But when he saw the wind, see the wind hadn't, it wasn't that it all stopped and then it started up again. He was looking at the Lord Jesus. He had heard the very word of the Lord Jesus of who he was. And he says, tell me to come and I'll come. And he hears the, the command come. And he gets out and he's doing the impossible But when he saw the wind, he's suddenly looking back at the wind. What are you doing that for? <laughs> he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, that is what we're like, isn't it? We look at the Lord Jesus and we follow him and then suddenly we're sinking because we're looking at our circumstances. I mean, that's, that is the battle, isn't it? See, why did he doubt? Because he looked too hot too long at his circumstances and he looked too little at Jesus and that's why we constantly want to come back to the word to hear the word of God who is Jesus what has he done for us and of course even though Peter does sink Jesus is there immediately to pull him up (laughs) because he's the saviour even when he does fail even when he does fail in his faith come on because he's the saviour 
And then we're told. He said to the wind, be still. And immediately it was still. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, you've got it, haven't you? You as men, there is a calling to be a leader in some way. We're not all preachers. Thank goodness, that would be silly. We're all involved, though, in the teaching of the word, encouraging someone, encouraging our families, encouraging other brothers and sisters in the church. How? When they're being battered. Of course, there's an arm around them. We weep with those who weep and we laugh with those who laugh and we bring them sustenance and help them with all kinds of physical things. Of course, of course, we must. But also we're to bring a word. It's an odd thing when people say, well, you can't just burst in and read Romans 8 to people that are suffering. Well, if that's your attitude, of course not. But actually, Romans 8 would be a terrific place to read to them. Say, can I just remind you of these truths? Can I pray for you? Can I bring a word from the Lord's book of words to you? And then as a church... There's a storm out there. I mean, there is a storm out there. If you watch the news this morning, you know the storm is out there, don't you? You've got all that's what happens in France. That's going on. I mean, it has hit you, hasn't it? In, in I think, was it Melbourne or Sydney? or Didn't you have some shootings and things in that same sort of area? Look at what's going on in Turkey. There are storms out there and there is a world full of evil there are evil things going on aren't there aren't there there are satanic powers out there aren't there otherwise how do we explain all that there's some pretty horrible things and we as this little church are sent out and the waves are You're asking me to do too much. First it was the fish sandwich. I can't even keep a fish sandwich down. It's puking up all the time, for goodness sake. I'm being battered. And there are churches and Christians that are battered. But it's in those batterings that God often comes. I mean, in Iran, I was talking to someone earlier, we are seeing in London... Thousands, and that's not an exaggeration, of Iranians becoming Christians. They've, they've, they've fleed Iran. They hate Islam. They see it's horrible. They, they say, you live under that, it's horrible. They hate it. And they're getting converted. Isn't that wonderful? Someone told me, who's a, a, a missionary to Iran, that actually there are so many converts, it's just amazing. When they're being battered... In the battering. (laughs) Sometimes we're not battered because we haven't got in the boat. We want to be with Jesus up the mountain. Lovely. Nice, comfortable prayer meeting. Let's pray all, you know. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. Don't get me wrong. But let's pray, you know, let's pray. Pray for revival. But we never do anything. Oh God, save the nations. Yeah, but we're not even nowhere near the nations. We're in our little tiny mountain. We've got our little mountain of fire where we pray together. We haven't gone out. 
Sometimes we need to kick up the pants as a church to get in the boat and get out there. But that's a big wave. Yeah, get out there. And as you're there, as you're being battered, you'll know the presence of the Lord. So this applies to us as a church and it applies to us as Christians who are battling. If you're battling, can I encourage you to keep battling and see the Lord in this. And as we'll see in the next session, the Lord is about taking the storm out of us rather than the storm out of our circumstances. I'm going to hand back to Mark. Sorry. And pray.